Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. We often hear about the impact a changing climate is and will have on the earth. Higher temperatures, rising sea levels, and more extreme weather events. But what about the implications on human health? A first-of-its-kind report called The Impact of Climate Change on Human Health in the United States, a scientific assessment was released by the U.S. Global Change Research Program this week. More lung disease is predicted by the report, and that's one of the reasons that we have someone here from the American Lung Association. Joining us today is Dr. Alan Peterson, Emeritus Director of Environmental and Community Medicine of Lancaster General Health. Dr. Peterson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Also joining us is Kevin Stewart, Director of Environmental Health for the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic. Mr. Stewart, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be back. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. As I said in the introduction, Dr. Peterson, this is described as a first-of-its-kind report. We have heard so much over the past decade or so about the impact that climate change is having on the planet, but not so much about human health. My first question is why? Why not? Well, I think the uh, the health aspect is one that's just not been looked at very closely until, uh, you know, the last 10 years or so. And uh, this uh, globalchange.gov site, if you Google Google globalchange.gov and choose the National Climate Assessment, uh, the folks can see what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is a survey of a, of a, actually it's a summary of scientific impacts of climate change in the U.S. now, going on right now, and for the future. A team of over 300 experts guided a 60-member Federal Advisory Commission, and they produced the report. And this was extensively reviewed by the public and experts, including federal agencies and a panel of the National Academy of Sciences. 17 national health and medical organizations urged immediate action to address the negative health impacts of climate change. It establishes greater urgency for states to act on their clean power plan. Climate change is not a distant threat. It already takes a dangerous toll on America's health. If we don't control CO2 from fossil fuel plants soon, climate change may reach a tipping point. Methane and carbon pollution are the major contributors to climate change. All right. Well, let me just interrupt you for a moment, and let's talk in some generalities at this point. The report, what it, did it generally say about the impact it will have on human health? Well, it'll be significant if we don't make our changes fairly rapidly, because the CO2 that's put into the air today can last there hundreds, if not thousands of years. So we have to start start decreasing the, the input of CO2. Okay, but what does that mean for human health? What kind of impact is it going to have on humans? Let me just list the chapters that are in this report, and I think this, this summarizes it quite nicely. Uh, Temperature-related death and illness, air quality impacts, extreme events, vector-borne diseases, water-related illness, food safety, nutrition, and distribution of food, mental health and well-being, and populations of concern. 
So we'll get into more specifics. But Kevin Stewart with uh, the American Lung Association, uh, respiratory illnesses, lung-related illnesses, just a part of this. But what got your your attention? Well, that's right. I think the, the emphasis on air quality impacts... We understand that with climate change, we have other kinds of effects. In other words, everything has consequences. It's not just simply uh, the melting of the, the, the ice caps or anything like that. We're talking about other kinds of things. So when global temperature increases, when you have uh, you know greater uh, levels of, of, for instance, allergens in the air because the ragweed season is lengthened, uh, when you have more rain and heavy events that might lead to flooding and then mold growth, there are going to be consequences to, to health, and certainly lung health is going to be one of those things that we're looking at there. When we talk about ozone and fine particle pollution, there are going to be sources because when it's hotter and sunnier, you can have greater ozone formation. That's a powerful respiratory irritant that forms at ground level uh, from, from air pollutants that are put into the air. So if we don't Cut, cut back on the kinds of pollution that lead to ozone even more in the face of the, these kinds of increases in temperature and, and, and sunlight, we can then end up having some problems with ozone. Fine particle pollution is one of the things that we've seen very clearly has been the, uh, the increase in, in potential wildfire problems. And, and certainly, uh, I know Dr. Peterson can talk in more detail. Uh, he has some experience uh, with some folks out west uh, where uh, we see that uh, everyone remembers, I think, maybe back to 2002 in July when there was a fire up in Quebec, and we had problems with air pollution here, you know, 1,000 miles away because of, 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 of that kind of situation. Well, those kinds of things are likely to increase. Mm. Um, extreme weather patterns, those kinds of things, when they cause the wildfires and the flooding, those are the things that can then add, add to health impacts. And then, of course, the vector-borne diseases are another aspect that we're, we're concerned about because we know that individuals who are already in high-risk groups are also going to be more susceptible to those as well. And just a- along those lines, you know, there's been so much attention over the last month on Zika and the mosquitoes that uh, that carry Zika. The latest maps show that uh, those mosquitoes could make their way to Pennsylvania. So I guess one of the questions that uh, should be asked is, are we already seeing some of the symptoms, if you will, of climate change on human health. Absolutely. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the focus of the report. It's always been the idea to look at climate change as something that is in the distant future, that maybe, you know, 100 years from now, some of us will, will have a, a hotter day or whatever. And no, we're saying that now we are observing the effects immediately, right now, when we're talking about people who are at increased risk because of air pollution. We're talking about people who are in, in, in greater uh, likelihood to be susceptible to vector-borne diseases. The, the, the spread, for instance, of Lyme disease mm. is an example. When you look at maps of, of where Lyme disease existed bef- you know, 10 or 20 years ago and where it is appearing now and how far north it is going. Because of ticks, right. Because, because mm. of the, 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 you know, the tick-borne diseases. Mm-hmm. That's an example of something that, sh- that, that is very, very climate-dependent. And so that's, that shows why, where we are experiencing problems immediately today. And that's one of the things that we want to emphasize uh, in this report, that uh, you, you, know, you don't have to look to the future to see the effects of climate change. We're experiencing them now. That makes the urgency all the greater to do the kinds of things, for instance, the clean power plan uh, is indicating that we need to do to control carbon pollution, to start to get uh, a handle on that, 
reducing the amount of air pollution that's going into the atmosphere that's, that's leading to these kinds of effects. Dr. Peterson, we're seeing it now. Let me give you an example. Uh, in the year 2014, in the state of Pennsylvania, we had the most cases of Lyme disease in the United States. We had over 6,000 cases. Uh, it is now in every county in Pennsylvania. This was not the fact a few years ago. So there's no question, as the moisture and the humidity and the temperatures move further north, these vectors move with it. And as you said, the mosquitoes, too. You know, there are a lot of, when you just read down through the chapters, Dr. Peterson, there are a lot of different impacts described in this report. Is there one that's more dangerous than others, or are they equally dangerous? I think they're all very dangerous, and especially uh, for those that are most susceptible. We're talking about infants, we're talking about elderly, we're talking about those with chronic diseases, we're talking about the poor, uh, those that have trouble caring for themselves already, already whether it be economical uh, or whether it can be a medical, for example. And, you know, excuse me for jumping around because there is a lot mm -hmm. here. Um, we know that in when this discussion comes up about climate change, it often becomes a political discussion. Someone reading this report will say, well, okay, I have to say I'm surprised by the amount of information here telling me that there could be some harm to human health. There may be some people who look at it and say, well, they're just trying to scare people. How do you, what do you say to people who have that opinion? I think you have to look at the science. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't either understand science or want to understand science, but there's no question that the, the climate change is here. It's going to get worse if we don't make changes very quickly in our fossil fuel consumption. You know, one of the questions that uh, I was thinking about is that, uh, you know, when you're talking about climate change, some of these things, when you're talking about uh, the impact on the planet, are irreparable. What about, uh, is it irreparable? I mean, have we crossed the point, or is there a point we could cross where uh, we can't do anything about the health that we'll have to learn to deal with it? I think um, it's important to maintain a sense of optimism. Um, if we go about this with a defeatist attitude that we've already been beaten, um, that's not going to help anything. It's really critical that we recognize that there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of things that can and, and, and could be done. Uh, there's a lot of research around the whole idea of what kinds of alternative energy scenarios will work for us. There's a lot of understanding that's really started to snowball a lot in recent years that we have some great opportunities, economic opportunities, job-creating opportunities, opportunities that would protect health in terms of the kinds of energy solutions that we need. And it's important for us to recognize that's the way to go. Because if we want to try to hang on to the old fossil fuel model, if we want to try to hold on to the old energy-wasting models of the past, that's not going to get us progress. At the same time, in terms of what kinds of changes have happened that are irrevocable, there are certainly, you know, We've seen changes in sea level rise. We've seen, you know, changes in terms of temperature. We've seen changes in terms of certain species that are, are, are not being able to survive in certain environments and so on. The human species does have an effect on the planet. There are some things that, that we cannot bring back. But at the same time, 
the more we identify this as an opportunity and as something that we recognize as the human family can go forward to solve, those are the kinds of things that we are recognizing. This report is just simply indicating, look, those of you who had thought that climate change was something that was going to happen in the future, that something, oh, it's a distant thing that I don't have to worry about and maybe my grandkids will solve it, you know, after the scientists figure out a magical solution. No, no, that's going to take work now, today, going forward. Mm -hmm. Dr. Peterson? Let me just give you one example. Uh, and, and I agree, solar and wind energy, uh, ocean thermal energy, there are a lot of renewable sources out there. But don't forget energy efficiency, too. The estimates are that if each one of us in the United States were to consume 20% less energy, that we could wipe out 100 fossil fuel power plants today without any negative effects whatsoever in the electric grid. That's an unbelievable statistic, I think. Let's take a phone call from Gary in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Hey, I don't want to be the doom and gloom, but I look at everything from a farming perspective, and I can tell you the challenges are just getting overwhelming. The fact that we don't have cold enough winters anymore, um, <clears throat> that really takes a toll on the bug population, and there's going to be invasive species that are coming from all over the world into Pennsylvania. You know, you, you think about the stink bugs and whatever. Just think what else is coming. Uh, the Zika virus is probably just the, the tip of the iceberg as far as some of the diseases and plagues and, um, you know, the forests are taking a hit right now with some of the different uh, species that have come in. And, again, not having cold enough winters isn't really slowing them down. We have invasive species coming up from down south that are trying to take hold. It's actually causing some farmers down there to just give up farming because you can't kill some of these weeds. So then you get into possible droughts, you get into possible um, <clears throat> extra water, you know, when you don't really need it. So, I mean, the challenges are just going to be overwhelming for farming. And you have to understand, Pennsylvania, the population is getting older. Most kids don't really want to take over the farm. So, you know, we're getting hit by a whole bunch of things right now. So I always go, if you can't grow food, you can't eat, and you can't have a planet. So, Hey, Gary, well, let me ask you, have you observed this with farmers in Pennsylvania? Uh, oh, uh, you know, like I said, this a uh, couple invasive species of weeds are coming up here. I think one's called pig's foot, or I'm not sure, but it's taller than we are. One plant can produce 60,000 seeds. So, you know, you're, you're talking about trying to grow crops when you get one or two of these plants. That's all. And it can take over a field in, a, in like a year or two, and it's almost impossible to kill it. So, you know, these are things that are happening. One, I think it's because we're just not having cold enough winters. Another one is just, you know, it's just, it's time, or maybe it's just build up an immunity to some of the glycosates or, you know, some of the uh, weed killers that we have now. And uh, the challenges are almost to the point where you really sit and look in the mirror and say, is this really what I want to do seven days a week? Mm. Hey, Gary, thank you very much for your phone call. You can address Gary's phone call, but at the same time, I want to go back to report the report. It talked about more foodborne illnesses. And how would they uh, present themselves? Well, one of the things, of course, uh, we're going to have increased flooding, more severe storms and so forth. Uh, there was a study from Stanford University in 2014 that said by the end of the century, our storms are going to intensify by at least 40 percent. Now, we've already seen this happening be beginning several years ago, but this is going to become more of a problem. 
getting back to what he he said, though, the earlier seasons because of the warmth and the longer seasons for these plants also increase pollen production, which increases allergies. Pennsylvania has now been named the second sneeziest and wheeziest <laughs> state Is that a, uh, in the United a States. Is a technical term? Um, well, it was to the people who did the study. <laughs> but uh, this, is, this is really becoming an issue. The, the estimates are that by 2050, the allergic folks in the United States will double in numbers. So it's, it's a significant issue. But something you just described, with a longer growing season, doesn't that mean that if farmers adapt that there are crops that they don't grow now in this climate here in Pennsylvania, for example, that they could grow, that it would expand food production. That's possible, but there's also some studies, Scott, that say there's going to be decreased protein availability in some of the crops uh, that, you know, they, they like to plant, like potatoes, rice, wheat, and probably some others. And there are some plants that don't do well in the heat, period. Um, so... There's going to be extreme weather events, more erosion. Uh, so it's it's not all a, a happy scenario. The other thing about agriculture, just so people are aware, is that with higher temperatures, there's also an increased risk of infectious diseases associated with those. So people talk about salmonella now. You've right. heard different events. Uh, there's the greater likelihood for that kind of thing to be a problem as well. Mm. Um, you know, Kevin, I, I, we may have even talked about this on the air, but uh, during the summer, uh, ozone alert day or... Or an action day, action yeah. day, air quality right, action day. Where sure. there's, uh, you know, a real hot day mm-hmm. where people who are in those uh, those groups that uh, older citizens, younger people, those with chronic disease, diseases are more at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems as though we've been having more of those. Do you have any numbers on that, whether we have or not? Well, I'm glad you asked this, Scott, because uh, <laughs> in, in a few weeks, uh, the American Lung Association, actually on April 20th, um, we will be issuing our annual state of the air report uh, that does look at ozone and fine particle pollution across the country, uh, gives grades and so on. So uh, uh, certainly uh, if uh, your listeners will pay attention around that time, uh, we will be doing a lot of work on uh, uh, indicating what the findings of that report would be. Mm. Okay. But you're not going to tell me right now? No, 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 I'm not not, not right now. It, it is embargoed until the 20th of, oh, of April. Oh, jeez, Kevin. Come on. <laughs> give me a, just give me a hint. It see, okay, I'm going to say my observation is it seems like there are more out there. So if you would, describe well, well, what well, those ozone action days are yeah, and right. if there's a potential for more. Sure, absolutely. Um, ozone uh, is, is a powerful respiratory irritant. It's a kind of oxygen uh, molecule that has three atoms instead of two. Uh, Ozone is something that's not put out directly by smokestacks and tailpipes, but air pollutants that go into the air cook in the hot summer sun. So when you have a hotter day and you have you know, sunny environment, stagnant air, those kinds of things you can have in greater probability when you have climate change increasing global temperatures, that's what's going to lead to higher ozone levels, all other things being equal. And ozone already, we know the current standard um, uh, was just recently changed to make it more protective of public health. It's not nearly as protective as the American Lung Association would like it to be, but it's one of those things that we recognize there are going to be more days counted because we're finally trying to get a better picture of telling people the truth about whether the air is safe to breathe. 
You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We are in the midst of WITF's 2016 spring fundraising campaign, and I'm joined by WITF's multimedia news director, Tim Lambert. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Great to be here. How are we doing this morning? Doing great. Uh, It's been a a nice uh, round of uh, momentum building here throughout Morning Edition. We're just about... uh, Around $20,000, another $219, and we'll be under the $20,000 mark to go in the campaign, which ends tomorrow afternoon. So uh, we're really ahead of schedule, which is fantastic, but we want to keep that momentum up. So it's important that you make a contribution right now. Help us get under the $20,000 mark with that contribution of $5 a month, of $10 a month, of a dollar a day at WITF.org or 1-800-233-9483. And if I could ask... Do it during Smart Talk. So uh, I have bragging rights and say we got under that $20,000 mark by uh, going to uh, WITF.org or 1-800-943. What's it? 243 There's a lot I, of numbers involved. Uh, yeah, I have the 800. I have my uh, caller number in, on, <laughs> on my... Scott's had a long week. Right. So, all right, Tim, I'm going to interview you like I normally do. Why why should someone support WITF? Why should somebody support WITF? Because the service that's provided to the community helps keep you educated about the issues important to your community, help keep you educated about the issues that are important to you, and also helps inform you. We have an election coming up, in case you hadn't noticed. Really? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Who would have thought that? We're less than three weeks out from the Pennsylvania primary. Uh, You want to be in an informed uh, citizen before you go into that uh, that uh, the polling station and make your vote. So WITF and NPR have been providing election coverage for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, 18 months, 24 months. Uh, so we hope that uh, that is something that you've come to appreciate. You've come to appreciate. Maybe you're like all of us here when Scott Detrow is on the air with the NPR political team. You get a little smile on your right. face and you listen a little closer because one of our own uh, have, are, are, are telling us about, uh, you know, Wisconsin. Scott's been out in Wisconsin for the last week. So make that contribution in support of the the news and information you get, but also the entertainment. I mean, you have uh, shows like This American Life and, and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and Car Talk and Prairie Home Companion, Garrison Keillor, winding down his long, his distinguished career. So make a contribution now in support of the programming that you know, that you love each and every day at WITF.org or 1-800-233-9483. And I think... We still have a little bit of match money left. I don't think we've reached the $5,000 challenge from the McCormick Family Foundation. So uh, any uh, gift right now will be matched dollar for dollar up. I I don't know how much of that's left, maybe $800. But make that contribution. It'll be matched dollar for dollar. Well, we know that uh, the WITF, NPR, Smart Talk audience is uh, uh, that they not only are curious, but they also are wise. And And passionate. And being able to take advantage of uh, something like that where they're contribution will be matched dollar for dollar it is a good time so uh, i ask uh, smart talk listeners ask you out there uh, to give us a call or to go to witf.org uh, tim you know something we're doing today on smart talk and you know one of the questions i'm asked most often is how do you come up with a variety of topics but you know something else that i i also try to strive for is bringing topics to uh, witf uh, the witf family uh of, that they may not hear otherwise. Today's a good example. We have heard so much over the last decade or so about climate change and its impact on the earth. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of surprising that you haven't heard about the health impact on the human race. 
Yeah, that is. I mean, we've we've had n- numerous stories uh, on it. Uh, State Impact Pennsylvania has worked on the issue for the last five years or so, uh, and we've talked about how uh, uh, some of the ski resorts in the state are starting to diversify, uh, thinking ahead that uh, you know maybe we'll have temperatures like Georgia in, in 50 years or 70 years. Uh, so maybe we need to have some summer activities instead of ski slopes because maybe there won't be snow. So uh, we've had sort of like the economic impact of, of that, but nothing yet that, that has really kind of focused on on health. So this is a great conversation today. So one more time, number and uh, website? 1-800-233-9483 or go online to WITF.org. Make that $5 a month contribution, that $10 a month contribution. It'll be matched dollar for dollar. Tim Lambert, thank you very much for being with us today. I'll see you in a few minutes. You got it, Scott. We are talking about uh, climate change, a report that was issued earlier this week that uh, kind of list the uh, list the, the impact of um, climate change on human health. Our guest today, Dr. Alan Peterson, Emeritus Director of Environmental and Community Medicine of Lancaster General Health, and Kevin Stewart, Director of Environmental Health for the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic. We welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on witf.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Before we take more phone calls, gentlemen, I have to say that there were several parts of this report that, I don't know, I I don't know whether I'd use the word counterintuitive, but something that I wouldn't have thought of. Obesity, for example, that the report said that, uh, you know, as much as we have an obesity problem now, it seems to have leveled off a little bit about amongst American adults. But amongst children, we still have an issue. How would uh, a changing climate impact obesity? I'll give you one quick, obvious thing. Uh, if it's hotter, there's even less likelihood that the kids will go outside to play. Uh, yeah, They'll be inside sense. getting less physical activity than they are now. Uh, there's all those kinds of things. If the air pollution levels are bad enough, um, we always tell people to avoid being out there in that. So uh, there's also the issue about uh, what kinds of foods are available and and whether it's possible to have healthy environment, healthy diets. Uh, that also can affect uh, uh, in- individuals' uh, uh, weight issues. Go ahead. There are also uh, chemicals called obesogens that are being found in some of our foods now. Some of this uh, may be um, hastened along by some of the uh, farming methods and and so forth that are being used. What's an obesogen? An obesogen is a chemical that increases your chances of becoming obese. What what kind of foods? Uh, Again, these are chemicals that can be on the food or in the food, and uh, that can have a negative effect, obviously, on insulin sensitivity, for example, increases your chances for diabetes and so forth. Yeah, diabetes was another illness I was going to ask about that I saw that uh, uh, predicted an increase in diabetes. What about mental health? Yeah, mental health is, is an extreme problem, obviously. And this is something that isn't usually on the breaking news because it, it happens frequently after the fact. Uh, once the Katrina victims tried to get their lives together. Many of them suffered from um, post-traumatic stress, uh, anxiety, depression, suicidality increased. Uh, So this is a long-term issue. I mean, I have patients who say, I don't even want to turn the news on anymore because I get depressed with what I'm hearing these days. So uh, it's it's a huge problem. And it's 
really not being spoken about very much. You realize you're depressing the hell out of a lot of people today. <laughs> well, I'll get back to what Kevin said, though. There is hope if we move on this quickly. Well, that is a question that uh, one of our, our uh, callers has. Joy is in Strasburg. Joy, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Dr. Peterson. I'd like to ask whether you agree that it is time to end the open burning that we allow in our local community. seems to me that this is something that we could do locally to address the problem of air quality. And every farm here has a private dump, as you well know, from coming from Quarryville. Uh, the local homeowners, you'll see they have their burn pile and their trash barrel and so forth. I feel that this particulate matter, as well as the gases that are going into the air, have a negative effect. And I wonder if you comment about that. All right. Thank you very much for your call. There's no question. And maybe Kevin can say something to this a little bit later, too. Uh, the, the more particulates we have in the air, the more asthma we're going to have, the more exacerbations with chronic obstructive lung disease. It can also affect heart disease, making it worse, uh, on and on and on down the road. Diabetes could be made worse and so forth. Uh, when I was active in my township uh, uh, political affairs uh, on the Environmental Advisory Council, I tried to lead in our township a ban against this. Uh, to, I didn't get very far. But I think we have to keep pushing for things like this. Why didn't you get very far? Uh, because of the political stance that the okay, but there's I mean the the reasons behind that though when you think about it, and almost everything we're discussing today, right, takes right ad adaptation, takes change in right. people's lives, and whether people are willing to do that. I mean, just what uh, Joy described with rural areas of Pennsylvania with burn barrels, with farmers with uh, dumps, right. That all those things would have to change. Some of these folks see this as excessive regulation. We see it as protecting health and well-being. Mm. Kevin, uh, lung association and there's fine particulates and burn barrels and all that. Yeah, we, the American Lung Association certainly uh, stands for public health and recognizes that everyone has the right to breathe clean air. Uh, we know that it's important to control all sources of air pollution. We want there to be solutions. In other words, it's not simply a matter of saying, don't do this, but what are the alternatives that are put in place that recognize that right now, whenever we put those kinds of air pollutants into the air, we are then saying, we're asking other folks, we're telling other folks, okay, you have to breathe this pollution that we're putting in the air. You have to absorb those kinds of costs in your health in your medical bills, in your insurance, whatever it might be. So as long as we can recognize that those costs currently are externalized, and that applies to everything, whether it's you know air pollution from, from open burning or whether it's carbon pollution going into the atmosphere from a power plant, all of those kinds of things put costs on other individuals. So that's where the idea of trying to help people understand, if we look at things holistically, we are then saying solutions lie in what is going to be good for all of us together as a society, rather than sort of looking at things as an individual uh, choice. And I, as, if I can put my pollution on someone else and I don't have to worry about it, that gives us a false sense that we're doing the right thing. Dr. Peterson. One of the biggest health improvements that our society has seen is in the fact of sewage removal proper, properly, sanitation. Uh, decreases, obviously, uh, infectious disease and so forth. Right now, there are no controls whatsoever on the carbon that we're putting into our atmosphere. 
It's just incredible. And yet all of these health effects, and that's what we're here talking about today, cost us exorbitant amounts of money, and that's increasing over time also. But there is cause and effect. Let's just give the burn barrel getting rid of trash uh, as an example. Okay, those people who get rid of their trash in rural areas by burning it in a barrel, they don't do that. It goes somewhere else. It goes to an incinerator Mm -hmm. where it's being burned. It goes to a landfill where it's going into into the earth. So, you know, there is an impact on that as well. There are solutions, both in terms of trash reduction, but also it's critical for everyone to recognize uncontrolled open burning produces hundreds, sometimes thousands of times more pollution for the amount of poundage of material you're burning than a well-controlled, properly operated incinerator. You know, municipal waste incinerator. Okay. Now, we're not saying that, that we want people to just routinely burn things. We want to reduce the amount of, of waste. And there are places in the world that are pushing toward the zero waste kind of model to recognize that the goal is not just simply to burn it and then landfill the ash, which, which has its own problems, but it's the, to reduce the amount of things that, you're, that, you, that are in that stream to begin with. Dr. Peterson. And if I have asthma, and I do have asthma, by the way, and I live next to this burn barrel, depending on the way the wind is blowing, that's going to have a negative effect on my health. And could it could end up in the hospital or ER or whatever. Uh, these, these are individual problems that can't be solved uh, in, in everyday America today. But one of the things we haven't mentioned is that a lot of people who live near these power plants are the poor, the economically deprived. Uh, they may not have health care that's adequate. Uh, these folks are obviously going to suffer a lot more frequently and a lot more severely. And I, they don't have a, a real word out there right now, um, politically speaking. Let's uh, take a call from Jerry in Lancaster. Jerry, you're on the air. Oh, thank you very much, Scott, for your program today. You're welcome. And I appreciate Dr. Peterson and Kevin's work. I've heard both of them talk in other venues. Um, One thing that I I just wanted to uh, be sure that people heard was that there are some important actions that um, average citizens can take to, to make an impact on uh, having things accomplished uh, to uh, reverse this, and it's, I think it's very important to, uh, um, to contact our, uh, our members of Congress and let them know um, that the people are concerned and, and want solutions. Uh, one, one bright spot uh, that is encouraging to me is that just recently in the House of Representatives, Six uh, members, three Republicans and three Democrats, have formed the uh, Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus. Uh, we always uh, hear, and it's true, that Congress is kind of deadlocked. But uh, these are six uh, congressmen who've decided they're going to form this caucus, and their their plan is to uh, is to take on one Democrat and one Republican, uh, and that that's how they're going to grow the caucus. It has to be bipartisan in growth. Uh, and I'd like to see uh, more publicity on this. You haven't read it in the news. But um, I'm also a member of Citizens Climate Lobby, which is the citizens uh, group that talks to members of Congress. 
Uh, we have a chapter in Lancaster and one in Harrisburg and York. And I'd encourage people to check out a Citizens Climate Lobby, well, the Jerry, they can get involved. Jerry, let me just uh, ask a question, though. I mean, we talked earlier in the program about it being a political issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there are politics involved, you have so many people that even deny that it is happening. So how do you get progress in Congress when you have uh, members of Congress who won't even admit that this is occurring? Um, well, it is true that that, that, that is a, a, a difficult thing to deal with. However, if, uh, if uh, we organize to, uh, to contact our members of Congress and, and treat them uh, with respect, when we talk to them, don't go in and treat them like the enemy. They will talk to you, um, and there are actually a, a, a lot of people uh, on both sides of the aisle that would like to do more. Uh, it's building up that political will to uh, sometimes they, our members of Congress need some cover okay. to know that people are behind them. Hey, Jerry, thank you very much for your call and the issues that you raise. Gentlemen, let me just ask a question, uh, Dr. Peterson, before you, you weigh in on this. Um, I don't really want to get into the politics of this, but when we do, usually those who are slow to get on board with this are coming at it from an economic uh, point of view, that it will cost jobs, it will cost the country, and it will put the United States at a disadvantage compared to China or India, countries that don't have the kind of economic control, or excuse me, the environmental controls that, that we have. But... Have members of Congress, have people in positions of power actually looked at this from a health standpoint? I think very few of them have, Scott. I think that's that's one of the issues that we need to continue to talk to them about. Uh, we need to give them facts. We need to give them science. Uh, we need to talk to our neighbors and ask them to talk to these folks to try to get this across. I'd like to give you one personal example of how this has affected my family's life. My son is a wilderness ranger in Bend, Oregon. Uh, He has told me, and and as he goes to fight the fires, I know this for a fact, that in the last 50 years, the snow melt of the pack ice has occurred four weeks earlier in that part of the United States. The burn season has become 50% longer in the last 40 years. This is a climate change issue. Um, Less snowpack ice coming down the mountains, less moisture in the ground, uh, more fires. Uh, More uh, pine beetles that go north because of the warming of the temperatures, the more dead trees. You combine these right in the news today, I heard, wildfire, um, tremendous increase. We don't see a lot of these in Pennsylvania. We're going to see more of them in the future. So what impact does that have on health? Well, obviously, the, the, other than, you know, the, the losing your homes and becoming depressed and post-traumatic stress and all that, we have the lung issues, okay, which is what Kevin's been talking about, with particulates especially. Mm-hmm. Right. I, ahead, I did want to sort of just emphasize a couple of things. One was the idea that clearly... We're talking about people who are sensitive to air pollution, and those are not just an odd person. When we talk about sensitive groups, it's not just the 1% or whatever. We're talking about large groups of people. Millions of people in Pennsylvania are in high-risk groups, whether we're talking children, elderly, people with asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. 
diabetes, heart disease, people living in poverty, we are talking about on the order of half the population fits into at least one of these of these high risk groups. You mentioned COPD, and we've seen the television commercials sure. for the medication. Right. Uh, that's how most people, fortunately, unfortunately, today have learned about this. What is it, and what kind of impact would a changing climate have on those patients? Yeah, sure. People who have chronic obstructive pulmonary pulmonary disease are people who have chronic bronchitis or emphysema. Those individuals have problems getting enough air into their into their bodies through their lungs because of those diseases. And when anything like an air pollutant gets into the lungs, that's going to cause a problem for those individuals in terms of uh, their just doing their daily activities. Some individuals then will be more likely to experience health problems that can range from simple things like needing more medication or visiting the doctor to going to the emergency room. And in fact, some individuals do die from those diseases a lot earlier than they would have otherwise because of assaults from air pollution. I think Dr. Peterson knows of a situation. Let me give you uh, another example, Scott. In in my own family, sister-in-law, Hurricane Sandy, New Jersey Shore, her house had four and a half feet of water in the living room. If she had not completely gutted that area, at least up until uh, the, the, the level of rise, uh, black mold would set in. Black mold, when it's inhaled, can be deadly. Um, I've seen patients in the hospital die from asthma. A lot of people think that asthma is just, you know, oh, well, you, t- you take a little inhaler and you cough a little bit and it goes away. It can be a severe, debilitating, chronic disease. Let's take a few more phone calls here. We have, uh, let's see, Sammy and Carlisle. Sammy, you're on the air. Yes, uh, gentlemen, this is a very good program. Now, Thank you. Uh, the government has invested a lot of money in uh, cleaning up the air issuing from uh, coal-fired plants. How is that program going? That's my first question. Then I got another. I want to talk to you about another point. Are you there? Yeah, go ahead. There are no regulations presently on carbon pollution from coal-fired plants, period. The government has invested millions or billions of dollars to capture this carbon dioxide that issues from the coal-fired plants. Now, I'm wondering how that program goes. That way we can uh, keep the coal industry going here in Pennsylvania and the adjoining states. Uh so they spend billions of dollars. Maybe you all are not aware of that program. There, there certainly are, are, are rules in place which, which govern other kinds of air pollution uh, from uh, uh, fossil fuel-fired power plants. One of the things that we recognize is that uh, air pollution that, that is carbon, whether you're talking about carbon dioxide, methane, those kinds of air pollutants, those are the kinds of things we need to have have some control over. I think uh, it, when we're talking about govern, government awareness and, and, and people being aware of, of, of air pollution problems, it's critical to understand that like the National Climate Assessment has involved agencies as diverse as the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce. So that's another source of information that Not public officials sure. are becoming well, we aware of in terms of their, 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 their control. Program, research and development program. Right, right. They've built a number of plans. I want to know how successful they are. Well, I think what you're talking about is, is, is carbon sequestration. Right. Is it exactly, yeah. putting right. it in the ground. Hey, what's your second question, Sammy? Because I almost am out of time. 
Yeah, right. Uh, my solid fuel engine is a, is a patent that's the beginning of a thousand-mile journey. Let me give you the number. We need to tweak it. All right, here's the number. Five zero nine two. Okay, I'm not going to put that on there because I don't know anything about it. So let's go to Bob in Vermont. Bob, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Scott. Thank you for the show. Uh, you know, the one thing that struck me about this is uh, we've been polluting the earth for so long, and ever since the industrial age particularly, uh, the amount of pollution is staggering. The huge gyres of plastic, the amount of lead, for example, we used in gasoline for years, uh, but the whole thing has to do with kind of with that idea of the frog being slowly warmed in water and oblivious until the water's reached boiling phase. We're in that now, I think. And, uh, of course, the acidification, uh, the pH is going to alter as the carbon is captured, both, both marine and um, terrestrial. So it's, the one thing that strikes me is this has got to become, this has got to become a global issue. And we've, the nations of the world somehow are going to have to band together. Otherwise, with that huge industrialization that's still occurring in China and India, things are just going to continue to worsen and worsen and worsen. Hey, Bob, so, thank you. Uh, thank you for the Thank show. you very much for your call. God, Dr. Getting back to your previous caller, burning fossil fuels more efficiently is not the answer. The mining, combustion, waste from this process constitutes a leading source of conventional air and water pollution in this country. When we stop burning filthy fuels, we clean our air and water, cutting our rates of asthma, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, and other acute health problems. By switching to mass transit, building smarter communities, we get more exercise, it's better for our health overall. These solutions will also create a more resilient, better distributed energy system, more economical. Just the cost in health savings will more than outdo any of the other economic issues. Dr. Peterson, you're with Lancaster General Health, Kevin Stewart with uh, the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic. Where can uh, anyone who is interested get more information about this report? What's the website? Well, certainly if you go to uh, the American Lung Association, lung.org website, uh, you know, there's information there about climate change. And then I think uh, there's the uh, the, the report itself is at... Uh, Globalchange.gov. Okay. Thank you. There's a lot of information there, a lot of information about the health impacts. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to WITF or WITF Smart Talk, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It is WITF's 2016 spring fundraising campaign, and I am joined by WITF's multimedia news director, Tim Lambert, which is always a treat when Tim stops in to add his personality to uh, to uh, Smart Talk. Glad I could be here, Scott. It's always a well, pleasure I'm just glad to be that here. you're here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> and we are moving right along here in our uh, annual spring fundraising campaign. We are now under $19,000 toward that overall goal of $85,000 to the drive that is going to wrap up uh, tomorrow afternoon. So keep those calls coming in. Keep those contributions coming. We appreciate it. And uh, those contributions could be anywhere from $5 a month to $10 a month to $15 a month. And uh, maybe you've been contributing at the 500 or 600 or $700 a year level over the last few years. Now, we are asking you to play a greater role in the life of the community and supporting public media. We're inviting you to join a group of inspirational donors by investing at the premier circle level of $1,200 a year or $100 a month. If you join today, your gift will be matched dollar for dollar by a generous group of current PC donors. 
Premier Circle donors who seek leadership support to secure WITF's role as a community resource for news and information for years to come. You can be one of WITF's 50 for the future by calling 1-800-233-9483 or or going to WITF.org slash visionary. That's WITF.org slash visionary. Make that contribution of $1,200. Uh, a year or $100 a month and, and take that leadership role and help support the programming you know and love and support it for those who, who can't make perhaps a contribution of $45 or $60 or a dollar a day. You'll, you're able to ensure that the programming remains strong in central Pennsylvania for those who can't. And I'm just thinking to myself as uh, you're talking about A lot to unpack there. Well, there are a lot of options. (laughs) There are a lot of options. That's what I was thinking about is that uh, if you listen to WITF on a regular basis and uh, you're part of the WITF family, as I like to describe it, and uh, just think about the amount of time that you do listen. Uh, We know that uh, the, the averages say that it's like six to seven hours a week. You add that up over the course of a year. And you're getting a lot of news and information, a a lot of reports that you're not getting, a lot of information you're not getting anywhere else. So uh, if that is something that you do appreciate and something that uh, you would like to support, then we would like to hear from you. And, Tim, I think that uh, once people think about that that way, they understand, yeah, that's right, I do listen about six or seven hours a week, maybe even more, six, seven, eight hundred hours a year. That Maybe they don't think about that. Right, right. But when we say part of the WITF family, you know, when we go out to these events, as you know, I've been out at many, many public events <laughs> here lately. <laughs> and so many people come up to us and say, oh, you're just such a part of the family. We really, uh, you know, you're part of when in the morning, I'm into my car, uh, or, you know, Tim Lambert. What Tim, What's Tim Lambert really like? <laughs> no one wants to know that. Uh, no, oh, I don't know. Nobody I don't know. I, I describe you kind of Brad Pitt-like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then you'd be lying to people, and that would be inappropriate. And, and all things considered. So think about it, and uh, if this is something that uh, you do appreciate and you would like to support, then we would like to hear from you. And uh, Tim or Brad, I don't know which one you want to be referred to well, today. Yeah. Mr. Pitt is fine. Um, you, you can uh, just think about, though, that it does cost money for what we do each and every day. I mean, uh, we have a, a funding model that's different. We don't rely on advertisers like some do. We we do get some great corporate support. We do get some great support from foundations. But the overall biggest p- piece of our financial pie comes from you, comes from your contributions to support what we do, to support the microphone that's in front of Scott's face right now, <laughs> to support the audio board that is... Uh, sending out these uh, these radio waves to support the headphones I'm wearing, to support the gas that uh, Emily Previty and Marie Cusick used to uh, drive to their, their assignments out into the hinterlands of Pennsylvania. Uh, so we hope that if you appreciate that kind of work, that kind of journalism that uh, you can't find anywhere else, um, you know, uh, give us a call. Make that contribution now. We're, we don't do clickbait. We don't do he said, she said. We work to provide context and analysis to stories each and every day, just like Smart Talk, Smart Talk does. Um, so make that contribution of $5, $10, $20 a month at WITF.org or 1-800-233-9483. Tim Lambert, thank you very much for uh, joining us Any this time, morning. Scott, thank you. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, it is Friday, where we have uh, several topics that we'll address. A lot going on at the state capitol this week, so WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Mary Wilson be, will be with us for Capital Week in Review to kind of summarize and provide some insight into uh, 
some of the issues that uh, were brought up at the state capitol this week. Also, a book written about uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch language and uh, what people don't know about it. That's part of tomorrow's program, so be sure to tune in.